everybody, and welcome back to the Out to Be podcast. I'm really excited to bring you this episode with my guest today, Rory Kelly. We recorded this a while ago, but I thought it was a really good follow-up to last week's episode, which was all about money, because this week's episode is all about how to transition to being a full-time musician, make money, and stay sane. So Rory Kelly herself, she is an artist and songwriter, and her life's mission is to create music that inspires others to love themselves fiercely and become their own heroes, which is so awesome. And I won't give too much away because you hear a lot of this in the episode, but Rory transitioned from a full-time job in the tech industry to being a full-time musician, and she did this mostly by gigging. And this episode is really fun because we talk both about some tangible tips of how to actually grow your career and figure out how to make that transition and how to goal plan it and figure out how to get to a place where you are making a full-time income with just music, but we also talk about how to do this without reaching burnout. And Rory herself learned a lot while she went through this process, and she shares that with us. And it was a great discussion on how to not just have self-care in the moments of desperation, but also be able to integrate it into your regular routine so that you're working towards your goal while still staying sane. So, This is a really fun episode. I think you will enjoy it a lot. Be sure to let both Rory and myself know what you think over on Instagram. You can tag me at Katie Zaccardi and the podcast at Out To Be Podcast. I would absolutely love to hear what you think. And if you enjoy this episode, be sure to write a review on the Apple Store. It would mean so much. It will help this podcast reach more people and get more listens so that we can empower even more musicians to take control of their careers and to be who they have really set out to be. So let's jump into today's episode. Hi, Rory, and welcome to the Out to Be podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're going to talk all about your journey from going from working a full-time job to now being a full-time artist and your journey with wellness all while that was happening and now. So do you want to start by just introducing yourself and what you do? Sure. So I'm Rory Kelly. Um, I'm a singer-songwriter. I tell people that the music that I make is Lady Beast music, which uh, basically means I am a strong woman who's not afraid to speak the truth and get loud. Um, And people who love that love it. And people who don't love it don't have to listen to me. Love that. (laughs) That's awesome. So before you became a full-time musician, what were you doing? I was in web development for, I guess, the better part of a decade. And did you like it? I did not like it. It was something that I learned to support my artistry, right? Like I had to make a website. I had a breakup with the person who was previously doing my website. And I was like, oh, I have to do this now. <laughs> and then once I did, I'm uh, kind of a Virgo and I'm a hardworking person. So I don't do things halfway. So I, I got really good at web development. And I was like, oh, this is a more marketable skill. Like I could probably make more money than being like a temp worker, which is what I was doing at the time, you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, let's see, making more money can only be good. Yeah. (laughs) Which was, you know, a blessing and a curse. Like I did, um, you know, kind of have an accidental tech career. I just never wanted one. And um, it's hard, it's a little harder to get out of when you're, you know, being given raises and a better pay rate and all of that stuff. Because you start to feel like, wow, would I leave all this security? Absolutely. Yeah. The more secure your regular job feels the harder it is to transition out of it, no matter how much you actually hate it or want to leave. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So how early on did your music career start, you know, full-time or not? When were you introduced to music? When did you start uh, your artistry and 
and how has that been for you? So um, I've been making music since I was a little girl. I've always sung. Um, the summer that I turned 13, I had a bunch of time alone and I taught myself how to play guitar. My parents were both musicians and I'm kind of a private person. I kind of needed the space to myself, you know, to find my own voice. Mm -hmm. um, and then it just like, I was hooked. Like that was, you know, that's like for a lot of people, like their transition into who they're going to be as an adult around that time. So I was making music. I was writing like a stupid amount of songs um, in high school. I got some little neighborhood gig playing at like this like town square on Sunday mornings where literally no one was there except for me with my guitar and a speaker. <laughs> but it felt like, hey, I've got a gig. This is cool. Um, so I've been, I've been gigging in one form or another since I was a teenager. And um, I am a singer songwriter. I was doing strictly originals for a very long time. And at a certain point in my 20s, I said to myself, I would rather play Brown Eyed Girl every night for the rest of my life than continue to work in a desk job. And that, <laughs> that shift was what allowed me to start my transition. That's awesome. So at one point you just kind of got fed up <laughs> with it and you're like, whatever it takes, I'm getting out of here. I'm doing it. Yeah, I'm in. I need to be doing music full time. So, uh, which I'm sure everyone who's listening is dying to know, how the heck did you do it? <laughs> so um, I did it. I the easiest thing I can tell you is that I did it by tracking and then multiplying what works. Um, and it didn't happen overnight. I was, I spent a lot of time because I'm a little bit of a workaholic. So I had spent a lot of years like trying to push myself. Like I would get home from my day job and start my night job. Right. Mm -hmm. I would be like, uh, you know, how do I get more attention for myself? How do I, you know, get more gigs, get more gigs that are paying, get more gigs that are high profile, whatever it is, is going to help. And I didn't win like the luck lottery where someone discovers you, which doesn't really happen so much anymore anyway, you know? Um, and so I was like, well, there's got to be another way. And I just, I just started tracking my money. You know, I just started putting in a spreadsheet, like the money I made from gigs. And the first year it was like, I think $970 for the year, <laughs> you know? So I was like, well, this isn't going to work out. But the next year it was like $2,000. And I was like, well, I just, I mean, this is small amounts, but I just doubled my income. So if I kept doing that, yeah. you know, like this could work. And so I just started really paying attention to, all right, well, what did I do differently? I played more gigs. I played more gigs of a certain type. How do I get more gigs like that? And because like, I finally had some information to latch onto, I was able to say like, okay, if that's the thing that I know how to do that makes me money, I will do that a lot more. And that attitude is kind of what allowed me to just grow my income to the point over like five years where, you know, I had like a five-year plan, you know, like a grown-up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it just allowed me to grow my income to the point where I no longer needed to have a day job filling in the gaps. So what were the things that you found were pulling in the most income and making the most money in the smartest, most like time-savvy ways? Yeah. Um, to be frank, um, I have... I was able to make a lot more money playing covers and playing originals. The other thing I've learned is that most people really look at that as two separate things. Like, okay, you're a cover artist or you're an original artist. And there's definitely right. some snobbery about it that I have been guilty of. Like, oh, well, I only do my own songs. And I saw a dear friend of mine um, kind of have a different path than me. She was teaching guitar and she was also doing sporadic cover gigs in addition to her original music. And I just watched her over like three or four years just get so good as a musician in a way I didn't have time for because she was just making music every day and I was like I'd rather be doing that mm -hmm. um 
And what I learned too is that as you build these relationships and play, um, you know, at different places and whatever, playing, you know, Joni Mitchell and Sarah Bareilles and all these things, um, there are people who are so excited to hear you and who want to hear your original music at those bars. There are people who are like, wow, do you write new songs? And then you play one and they're like, that's amazing. Can I buy your CD? Yeah. So I had this idea that it was going to be like this separate thing from my original music. And actually, it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, I usually play about 25% originals, even at those, you know, types of gigs. So I really did a lot of research. I moved out to Long Island. I was living in Brooklyn for a bunch of years. Um, and I just knew more people in the Long Island scene and started playing on the East End at wineries all summer, which are a bit... Um, it's, it's kind of like a, a big good gig for a lot of people around here, you know? Yeah. And um, that was really like getting into those circuits and getting the type of gigs where, okay, I've been booked once and I make sure before I leave that I book the next gig and becoming someone who is reliable to multiple, um, you know, multiple venues or bookers or whatever. And someone that people would recommend just by showing up and, you know, being professional and doing a great job, you know, and that was what allowed it to keep going because at a certain point it hit the point where I didn't have to make a call for every single gig, you know, like gigs were coming to me. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you use any like online tools like Gig Salad or any of those things to book these? Or was it really just utilizing the personal connections that you had and kept making by playing these gigs and being regularly reliable and good at your job? I really did it um, the old school way for the first bunch of years. It's actually only been in the last year or so that I've started using uh, Gig Salad and Thumbtack, which a lot of musicians don't know about. I've learned Thumbtack is great. It's, a, it's an all-around tool for freelancers to kind of, um, you know, hawk whatever service you provide. And for a consumer, if you're like, I'm throwing a party and I need a ma magician at my children's party, for example, you kind of type it in and all the people in the area who are signed up get an opportunity to quote on your job. Um, but I've only started using those in the last year. Mostly I've been um, asking around, you know, using word of mouth, asking, uh, forming relationships with other musicians and also, frankly, like using Google Maps and going like, does this place have live music? Does this have place live music? Have live music? Well, then I will call them. Um, and I still find that that's a more effective way, like getting a phone call or even better yet, like showing up in person and having a real one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone forms a relationship quicker and gets the gig quicker. Um, gig Salad and Thumbtack have both been really cool and useful for me, but they have not been consistent. So I can understand how if people are just doing that, they would feel like, oh, well, how can you ever get enough consistent income? You know, that's such a good lesson. And, you know, obviously we're going to go into talking more about wellness, but it's so cool to learn about what you did that actually kind of solidified that you could start making money and getting into the routine of what worked and what didn't work. So if anybody who's listening is interested in doing this and really upping their income in music, whether it is to go full-time or just to make more money on the side, definitely take these tips and practice them and see what works. Make local connections and go out and actually talk to people to secure the gigs that you want to get. And it totally can happen. Yeah. And this translates to almost any freelance field. Um, and I am the rare person who feels like we don't need to come to, uh, compete with each other, you know, so I will give other musicians gigs, I will give them contact information, I will share with them how I did it, because I think we're all stronger when we um, connect and build community rather than compete. And I've really found that to be true. I actually have like this group of like all the female musicians on Long Island who are around my age, and we like go out and get brunch together. And it's like the opposite of what people think like, oh, it's you, you know, it's so competitive, and it doesn't have to be that way.
Yeah, absolutely not. So how long was it that you were like in full speed ahead, making, making it work as a full-time musician and trying to grow your income while also still working your full-time job? It really was about five years. And it's five years. funny, like I asked myself if I manifested that because at the time when I first noticed, okay, I've doubled my income. I kind of like projected some numbers and I was like, in five years, that's enough to live on, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and at the time I said to myself, that's great. This is a five-year plan, but I'm going to do everything I can to make it faster. And it happened to take exactly five years, even though there was like an ebb and flow over that time. Right. Part of me is like, did I just tell myself it would take five years? So it did, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> and also part two is like, I had life changes in that, in that time. I bought a house with my husband and I definitely like leveraged the fact that I I had like a full-time tech job to get that mortgage, right. you know? So at the time I was like, well, let me do this because in two years I won't have that job. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, let me make that work. Whereas if I had chose to continue renting, for example, which I might've done if I wasn't married, you know, if I was single, I might've made that leap a lot sooner because I would have just like had less of a, you know, kind of desire to have like an actual home of my own and all of that. Right. How, how did you manage it? Like, did, was there ever a point during that five years where you were like, I don't know, this is getting kind of intense. Like, is it really worth it? Is it really going to pan out? It always felt, um, well, it didn't always, it, it often felt really too intense for me. And by the way, if you hear him meowing in the background, I apologize. That's my cat making a cameo. She's, <laughs> She's a very beautiful black cat. We love her. What's her name? Her name is Mama. That's so cute. <laughs> yeah, so it was very overwhelming, um, especially towards the end of that five years where I was not only working full time, but I was in this pretty demanding kind of uh, toxic culture tech job where there was really an expectation of working consistent overtime for not pay like we were always mm -hmm. salaried so it was like well you're just gonna work the weekend right because we have to hit this goal right uh, which was really hard for me because i'm like hey i gig on the weekends like that's my you know and it was tough because i couldn't exactly say like that's the job i'm leaving this for so i can't cancel <laughs> you yeah. know um and it just felt like I was burning the candle at both ends in major ways. You know, I was getting up at six in the morning to go to work. And then I was on like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, staying up pretty late to play gigs because, you know, there, I couldn't find a way to be like, I'm not gigging. I'm not gigging. I'm not gigging. Now I'm gigging enough to fill the gap. You just have to build it, you know? Right. So it did. It took a real toll on me. I did along the way, like stumble into like whatever methods I could do to make it easier. One thing was that I negotiated a partial working from home arrangement around year two. And then I slowly bumped that up until I was working three or four days a week at home at the That's end. So smart. Yeah. And a little bit, it was because, um, I, I got so fed up that I was desperate. You know, I, I got to the point where I was like no longer afraid to ask for it. And that's like how a lot of my wellness journey has been to, you know, like I've been like, I've pushed myself, I've pushed myself and I'm like, wait, I'm going to die if something doesn't change. And that's what <laughs> I actually yeah. have the courage to say, oh, perhaps I'll take care of myself. Yeah. It's a good motivation. I'm going to die if I don't ask to work from home. But, but I, I really do love that though, because it, it kind of, it's just a lesson and a reminder that like we can always ask for what we need. The worst that's going to happen is they say no. But if right. you commute and you are trying to balance a lot of things and it's just like taking a lot of, especially commuting like in and out of the city from Long Island or even from Brooklyn, 
that's like two hours out of your day that could be spent sleeping or resting or taking a bath or doing self-care or literally just like lying on the couch and watching TV, but not having to use your brain. Right. Right. And so that's huge to have that time back. So if you feel like, you know, there's something, a change that could be made in order to make you feel more sane in order to boost your overall like quality of life, then just ask for it. Ask, you know, if it's with a job, ask it for that part-time, ask for that like higher raise if you deserve it and justify it. And you never know what can happen. Like I said, the worst they can do is say no. It's so true. And that's something that like, I always have realized in hindsight, you know, I'm starting to now practice it like actively, but I've spent years of my life going, oh, I don't want to ask for this because I don't know what'll happen if they don't want, you know, to give it to me. And I mean, no one's going to fire you for asking for something, you know, like that's, I think yeah. that's everyone's secret fear. Like, well, what if I, yeah. lose? well, they not- will be so insulted. I asked to work from home that they'll just drop me right then and there. Like, no, chances are, if they are a good employer, they'll hear you out and they'll at least talk to you about why you want this and try to figure out an arrangement that works for both of you. Right. And in my case, I asked and I, and it was like really not hard to get what I wanted, you know, and that's like been my, a little bit of my journey too. And I think this is a thing as a woman who is putting herself out there. I I read this book at the beginning of my career called women don't ask, and it's all about women in negotiation. And I think, um, it's really true. Women are afraid to advocate them for themselves. We are, we perceive that it might damage the relationship. Like that's why we're fearful to do it. Mm. And, um, and that's like, that's like hurt me, you know, in like, um, in jobs and like back when I was working in the tech world where people would be like, well, how much do you see making? And I'd like name a number and they'd be like, okay. And I would know I had named way too low a number, you know, and it was too late. I couldn't undo it. Yeah. So slowly over the years, I've learned to say, that's, what? Uh, that's such an icky strategy too. So be like, how much do you want to make? So oh. that they know that they can give you less money, but it's like, well, she asked for that. So we're giving her exactly what she wanted. Yeah. Oh, I and that's something too, like as a musician, that's one of the first things that another gigging musician will tell you, which is like, you never tell people like, here's my rate, you know, like you're like, well, what is your budget? Gotcha. You know? There are people who are way more wealthy or have a more upscale situation who will pay you yeah. like quite a lot of money for a gig. And then there's someone who genuinely might not be able to afford to pay you more than your minimum, but will really treat you well and you'll feel valued, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And and like, as, <laughs> yeah. And as a musician, your rate for, you know, like you said, a more upscale environment for possibly a longer gig, it shouldn't be the same as like a quick 30 minutes set at a cafe or something. Like you can charge more, value your gigs differently. And I like that tip to ask people what their budget is before you give your rate that way that you can, you can know you're getting the most out of that gig. Yeah. I think a lot of us, I mean, Negotiation is a part of every exchange. As someone who's gigging, and if you're a musician or an artist of any kind or any kind of a freelancer or you have a side hustle, you're always negotiating every day. Yeah. And um, you don't have to come from a place of like, well, here's what I do, so will you meet me? Knowing you'll probably bring it down. You can come from a place of like, let's get on, let's get, both get on the table together and see, let's both like look at what's on the table together. That sounded really weird. <laughs> and. <see. laughs> you know, and see what's possible for both of us and what works for both of us. And that can be helpful. While at the same time, frankly, um, you know, not, not giving away like, well, here's what I usually get, or here's what I usually do, because people will try to take advantage of you if they sense that they can. Yeah, that's such a good tip. 
So I want to talk a little bit more now about how you stayed sane during this time where you were working full time and going full force trying to build your artist career. What did you do for wellness and self-care and just to like fill up your cup when you were feeling feeling drained and make sure that you avoided burning out? So for starters, something that I began doing actually kind of right before I started on like this kind of five-year journey was I started getting eight hours of sleep a night. And I have to tell you, people treat that like a dirty word. Like when you tell people I got eight hours of sleep last night and I usually get eight hours of sleep, you will hear everybody's reasons why they can't do that. And it really comes off as very judgy. It really is like, oh, well, that's wonderful if you could do that, but I can't because blah, 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 blah. And I kind of spent my last five years saying like, hey, if I can get on average eight hours of sleep a night, you know, some days I might get a little less, some days I might get a little more. If I can do it while working two jobs, you know, so that I can leave one of them and go full-time as an artist, like, believe me, you can too, whatever your situation is, you know? Yes, preach. (laughs) I really hate when people, first of all, I can't function if I don't get eight hours of sleep. Like I literally can't. So for me, it, that's like a non-negotiable. It has to happen. Otherwise I'm basically useless. And I think that I get a heck of a lot done in the days and in my life, regardless of that. Like I don't have to stay up or pull all-nighters to get everything done. So I'm very passionate about the get sleep movement. And I hate when people are so judgy about it because it's not a mark of pride just because you couldn't sleep. You should be striving to sleep because then your body can function at its full capacity and ultimately your brain and your body can get more done during the day. Yeah. And it's also like just, it's a happiness thing. You know, like, do you want to feel sleep deprived every minute of your life? I know, right? And I, I hope not. Like, I did spend, like, a good chunk of my life often sleep-deprived, kind of because of that culture, that workaholic culture, you know? And I think I either read something or listened to something that, like, talked about, um, it was like a study about people who got less than eight hours of sleep, and not significantly less, like maybe seven hours of sleep, six hours of sleep, mm-hmm. um, and how they perceived themselves to be fine and functioning at the same level but like they did like a battery of cognitive tests on them and found that like you know their recall was way down their ability to perform simple skills was like way less than they believed it to be you know and then 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 they were when they got eight hours of sleep mm-hmm. and I kind of was like well let's see. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a, a week and do this I'm gonna like get eight hours of sleep a night which is something I never did and see how I feel and I got eight hours of sleep a night for a while and I felt pretty good and I'm like well, I just feel good. So I'm going to just keep doing this. I don't need to test. I just need to keep feeling good. Yeah. Then I just had like a couple of weeks where, um, you know, it was that like crazy domino effect of like, I have late night gigs. I have early morning work. I just have so much going on. And I, for a couple of days in a row, got like three or four hours of sleep. It was really bad. And I walked through the day, like I'm a zombie. How do I exist? How do I live? And I said to myself, I was doing this for like 10 years of my life. Wow. And I didn't realize it until I stopped. Yeah. And that, like, I share that with people because I know there are people who have been walking around for way longer than that, like doing, being sleep deprived and not knowing it's not, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be that way and their life can be so much easier. Yeah. Like when you don't know what you feel like on a full night's of sleep, it's hard to compare because you think everything's fine. Like, what do you mean? Like I get four hours and I'm fully functioning. I can do everything I need to do. But then right. on the other side of the coin, once you actually experience like, a full eight hours or even more some people need. Like if I could get nine, I would be super happy. <laughs> and that, it makes such a huge difference. 
sometimes you do need more. That's the thing too. People are like, you get enough sleep and it's like, have you gotten exactly eight hours? Eight hours and 10 minutes is like super lazy, you know? Like, and it's like, hey, you know, like when I'm, there have been times when I'm like either sick or going through something very stressful or recovering from something. And like, I've needed like 10 hours of sleep a night. And like, that's okay, you yeah. know? Exactly. So what else did you do during this time to make sure that you were refilling your cup and, and feeling rested along with sleep? Well, um, in part, I allowed myself not to feel like I had to do all the things that normal people did. Um, so I did not really, I, I didn't, I was never a big TV watcher, like from the time I was young, but I like watched zero TV, zero movies, like nothing. I was like, I lived under a rock essentially, as far as entertainment was concerned. And it wasn't because I'm like, this boring person who's not interested. I didn't read either, which has always been a passion of mine. I was just like, well, um, there's someone who I'm working with right now as a mentor who says there is a season for different things in your life. And during that season where I was building my income, I simply didn't have time to do all those things. And it's like, sometimes TV and reading and stuff can be a form of self care. But at the time, like at that time for me, I needed to focus on the basics. I needed to be like, am I getting enough sleep? Am I able to do the work that I need to do? And, you know, am I, am I able to just, like, stay physically healthy, like, not get sick because my immune system is, like, kind of out of whack because of all this work, you know? And one of the things that that meant was, like, I wasn't watching TV most or any nights, you know? And I wasn't, um, you know, going out to the movies. And frankly, like, I missed a lot of friends, like, you know, special events and stuff like that. And I'd say like, listen, I'm so sorry. And I love you. But I just I got to take care of myself right now. And I was giving myself permission to not be like the classic thing as people say, like not be superwoman, you know, like you don't have to do every single thing. It's okay to have a focus in your life. And especially for me, it was short term, I had a hump I had to get over. And now that I have been I've been full time since uh, July. And now I'm like rediscovering TV. It's crazy. Apparently people <laughs> shows this whole time. The whole time. The whole time you were gone. <laughs> What's your favorite show to watch now? Right now I've been watching The Good Place on Netflix. Oh. I'm really, really liking it. Super good show. If you haven't watched The Good Place, I actually think it's one of the best shows on TV right now. It's really good. It's really smart and it's really funny, you know? Yes, it's hilarious. So I know that you mentioned before um, – we hopped on that when you were going through this period of basically working two full-time jobs, you learned a lot about what you call quick and dirty self-care. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So my ideal for the first couple of years was like, I need, um, and this is now my ideal and I recognize that it's still a little bit of a workaholic thing was like, I need one day off per week. I was like, you know, I was like the farmer who like plows his fields every day, except for Sunday. You know what I mean? I was like, if I, I can work my butt off, but I need one day of recovery per week. And then I got to a place, frankly, where in order to keep building my income, I frankly couldn't always have that, especially in the summer, um, where I was like, okay, I could take one day off per week, but that's going to cost me, you know, a few hundred dollars in what I could be earning in order to get myself out of here faster. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I kind of temporarily made that call like, okay, well, what will I do? And so quick and dirty self-care looks like to me, recognizing when I'm in a place where I need to stop what I'm doing, even if I feel it's really necessary, um, because I might snap, you know what I mean? And like giving myself then a timeout or taking like unscheduled timeouts, like frankly, you know, like taking a sick day, which is something that I feel very uncomfortable yeah. doing if I'm not sick. But frankly, I've learned that my body will like 
it will like throw me in jail. My body will be like, oh, you have been working so hard that you're incredibly stressed out. And often it's about my mental health, not my physical health. Well, guess what? You are going to get a cold and you're going to be down the count for the count for like three weeks now. Exactly. It's like if you don't take that sick thing now, you're going to get sick and have to take it later on instead yeah. of just resting now. So basically it's a sick day. It still counts. Yeah. And it's also about like working, working self-kindness into your schedule however you can. Um, so for me, like, I drive a lot, you know, and choosing to, like, listen to something that is not about, uh, you know, productivity. Like, I was always, I'm always reading books about productivity, and I'm always reading about, you know, the music business and all of this, and uh, choosing to say, I'm not going to listen to something like that. I'm going to, like, listen to, like, some fiction audiobook that is going to just bring me to my happy place for 40 minutes while I do this drive, you know? That is a form of self-care that has helped me a great deal because it doesn't, you know, cost me anything. But at the same time, it feels like, okay, I don't have to constantly have my brain be on. And I think that's the biggest challenge for people who are, you know, entrepreneurs who either have a side hustle or who are, uh, you know, like trying to build their own business. You know, you have this feeling like you, you always have to be on and you have to give yourself space throughout your day to turn off sometimes. Also, meditation, like, meditation does not have to look like a, a pillow and, like, nice music and, like, you know, tranquil lavender wafting through the air. Like, <laughs> often looks like I get to a gig five or ten minutes early and I sit in my car and I put my headphones in and I turn on my meditation app at, at, so that it rings a bell after five minutes. And you know what? Five minutes of meditation is way better than zero minutes of meditation. Absolutely. And that's really interesting. So do you do that frequently or every time before a gig you meditate? Yeah, I actually, I have a problem. Um, it's genetic. Um, so you can talk to my dad about it. Like I'm bad at being on time for things and I have started. <laughs> Runs in my family too. It's very interesting. <laughs> and it's partly too, I realize that I'm like, well, I, for me, it's like, I can get one more thing done before I go. And the reality is, yes, I can, but then I'll be late, you know? Um, yeah. So I start myself and I just started saying to myself I'm gonna get to every gig an hour early which is way more time than I need to be early for the gig you know and I'm gonna get there and if I have extra time this is how I like convince my inner workaholic if I have extra time I will use it to do one of two things I will make a booking call or I will meditate and usually I ha I get there and I'm like super stressed and probably like anxious about how the gig will go. And I'm like, I will just meditate for five minutes and it changes my whole outlook. It's amazing. You know, how long ago did you start doing that? Um, I actually started doing that like three or four months ago, like not too, like actually like, cause I was like, wow, now I'm full time and I have no excuse. <laughs> I, have no, I have no excuse to be late yeah. for because I'm no longer like running from, you know, like my day job to a gig to another, you know, like sometimes I'm running from gig to gig to gig, but other than that, I have no excuse. Yeah. And that's a really, really cool addition to your like gig routine. I think that's super yeah. cool tip. And what app do you use? It's called Zazen Meditation Timer. Z-A-Z-E-N. It's really nice. It's no frills. Um, it comes with a couple of built-in like uh, you know, like kind of meditation programs where you get ready for 30 seconds and then it gives you 10 minutes of meditation type of thing. Um, is, it, is it a guided meditation in that or is it just like silence or music? It's, or something? it's like it's silence and then you get bells at the end of the meditation to know like, okay, you know, your meditation's over now. 
and you can build your own meditations, which is really cool. So if I have like literally three minutes that I'm giving myself, I can give me, give myself three minutes and a bell at the end, you know? And yeah. that's nice. sometimes I only have three minutes and it's better to have it than not. Yeah. I, I love that. And then you don't have to be worried about making sure you don't go over or watching the clock. Like you can just trust the app to give you exactly the amount of time you need and you have, and then go on from there. Yeah. And it's way less stressful than setting a timer because I think we all at this, like at this state of technology, like we hear certain like cell phone timer noises or ringtones and we all get like panic spikes. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Like the bells are like, no, no, I'm just listening to this meditation bell. I'm, I'm blissfully coming out of my meditation into my full life. <laughs> <laughs> Since becoming a full-time artist, how has your wellness changed? Well, I have been able to actually give attention to my wellness in a way that I did not, frankly, for the last bunch of years. Um, I kind of, I, I think, like I said, I did quick and like quick and dirty, like, okay, do I need this? Do I need, desperately need this or like something negative will happen with my health. Okay. Then I'll stop and do it. I did that kind of self-care for the last, you know, five years. Right. And now the kind of self-care that I'm doing is like, I have a morning routine where I, I get up now and I kind of time it based on when I got home the night before. Cause I'm often out late cause I'm a musician. Um, I'll get up after eight hours or so of sleep and I will not start work right away. I will like write in my journal I will do like uh, my own little spiritual practice. I'm kind of like loosely pagan. So that's like my own little thing. Um, I'll spend some time with that. I will spend some time meditating and then I will begin my work. And that is like, it's a fair amount of time each day. And it, it, it's something that's built over the last, you know, over the time that I have been full time that I've allowed myself to give myself that time. And I just feel like so much more of a whole person than I felt like. Like a lot of my journey now, now that I've gone full time has been like, okay, what does it look like for me to have a complete life? Because I really feel like for five years and very necessary five years, and I'm grateful to past Rory for doing that for me, you know, um, for five years I lived like a half-life, like, like Voldemort, you know what I mean? Like I was just <laughs> like, I, I was like doing what I had to do and nothing more. That was all I had room for. And now giving myself room to both do things that feed my soul. Like my morning routine is really about like that takes care of me emotionally. It sets me up to not feel like anxious and stressed throughout my day, but also like to do things like friggin' have hobbies, you know, <laughs> like to like watch TV, to do things that are not necessarily about productivity and making money. And that's been a journey too, because for the last five years, it's been un like, it's felt unsafe for me to do activities that are just for the pleasure of it. So I've been rediscovering that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm the gym. I have time to go to the gym now. It's amazing. <laughs> do you go to the gym every day? I do not go to the gym every day, but I do go like a few times a week. I kind of work it into where if I have a day that I am not gigging, that's, that's the day I'm likely to be at the gym. You know, how and many days a week are you gigging now? Um, it really is seasonal. Um, in the summer, I could gig seven days a week if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. and I do not allow myself to. I make myself give myself a day off in the summer. It's nice. usually Monday. Um, in the winter, um, usually Thursday through Sunday is still spoken for. And sometimes there's a Tuesday or Wednesday thrown in. So it's like, you know, four to five days a week. 
And the other days I'm not like lounging around either. I'm making my booking calls, you know, I'm, um, I'm working on my original music, which is really, of course, where my passion is. You know, I have one day a week that I go into the studio and I record and I'm working on things like building, you know, building my online following and stuff like that. So I'm either working like on stage or I'm working, you know, both to get that work and to move my career forward most days. Right. I want to talk a little bit more about your original music. So can you tell us about your latest releases? And I know before we hopped on this call, you mentioned that a lot of your music kind of has trends that deal with the topics of mental wellness, mental health. So can you give us some insight as to what your latest album is and how, what songs on those kind of talk about these topics? Yeah. So, um, my most recent album, which is not that recent, um, it came out in 2016. I'm currently working on a new one, um, but it's called Rising, Rising, Rising. And it came out, um, if you do the math, that was right smack in the middle of my like five-year curve of building my career. Yeah. Um, and making that album was, it was very hard. And it was very important for me. It was very important. Like I did a crowdfunding campaign and I made the time to, like I managed all the sessions. I was working with three different um engineers and a bunch of different players and I was the one who was like okay we're all going to show up at this time we're going to do this this is what the arrangement is I kind of produced it in a way and um anyway sorry I went back into work mode (laughs) but it was important to me because it showed me that I could do that that I could do that even while I was working full-time even while I was trying to make this transition in my life that I could put my art first Um, and really a little bit, that's what it's about. It's about me showing up for myself. Um, and I found that that journey has helped a lot of people. There's a song called, if you teach a bird to sing, which I wrote for myself when I was going through a very difficult time, um, where I really felt like, um, a couple people that I'd really counted on had kind of let me down and I felt like no one was showing up for me and I had to learn how to show up for myself, which is not something I was good at. And so there's a few songs on that album that are about that journey. It's about me learning how to actually be a friend to myself instead of like a slave driver to myself, you know? Um, So If You Teach a Bird to Sing is um, that song for me. It was the one that I first wrote when I decided, okay, I'm going to start showing up for myself. I'll figure it out because I don't know how. And it's taken me on such a journey, like just by like writing it, it's like I opened this magical door because it's it's helped a lot of other people. People have come to me in tears after a gig and said, you just, you know, sang about my life and your song means a lot to me and inspires me. And it's also like taking me on a professional journey. Like I got to perform it um, at the Obama White House back in 2016, which was amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, it got some airplay, all of that. It's gotten some attention. Um, so I've, I feel really grateful for it. It's like taking a life of its own. And there is another song on that album called Um, Eyes of Grey, which is a song about learning how to befriend yourself when you have low self-esteem and you don't know how to. And this is a thing for me. Um, I've experienced it. Like I kind of went through a journey where I was like, oh, I can't just rely on other people to take care of me, even though I try to take care of everyone else. That doesn't work. People let me down and then I feel alone and miserable. Maybe I should take care of me. (laughs) And um And it really is, it's about like me helping a a dear friend of mine kind of through that process, someone who, um, she's such a sweetheart and she's the kind of person who's always there for you, always checking in to see how you are, always going above and beyond to make sure that you feel okay and, and just doesn't know how to give herself that same level of care. And it was, honestly, I wrote that song like an instruction manual. I was like, listen, 
this is how to show up for yourself. You do it one day at a time. You might not trust yourself at the beginning. It's okay. You keep working at it just like any other relationship. Where can we listen to your music? Um, RoryKelly.com. Um, and my name is spelled R-O-R-I-E-K-E-L-L-Y. Um, and you can also find me on like anywhere you can find music. I'm on Spotify. I'm on uh, iTunes. I'm on Amazon Music, Google Play, like all those places you can find me. Amazing, because I know a lot of people are going to want to listen to that whole album, especially the two songs in particular that you mentioned. And I, before I let you go, I want to ask, what final tip would you give to someone who wants to go full-time with their music, but doesn't quite know how and maybe thinks it might be too much to handle, especially if they are already working a full-time job? Um, I advise you not to take somebody else's um not to take somebody else's advice or plan and assume it's going to work for you. I advise you to ask yourself what you want the most. What kind, what are you really going after? Because a full-time career in music looks different for many people. What are you truly seeking? What will make you happy? Not what you believe a career in the music industry looks like. Um, it really has to be like, what will make my life work? And then instead of being like, but I can't do that. So this be like, well, what would really work for me? and take steps day to day to build so that you are doing more of that and making money doing it. And find people who are doing it, because it's amazing, there are people. The whole time I had a journey where I was leaving my day job, I, I felt like I was having arguments with everyone I met. I was like, no, you really can do it. You know, and everyone I met, including musicians, were like, oh, you know, that's really great, but I just don't think you can make it work full time. You know, it's always just gonna be a supplement. Literally, the day I quit my job, people started coming into my life who were full-time and had been full-time for years. And it's amazing how I just, I had to go through it alone, but I found as soon as I had, I'm like, oh wait, you know what? There are a bunch of people who are like in my community, who are like me, who have my kind of lifestyle, who are doing this and making it work. And I really recommend to people like seek those people out, assume they're out there and look for them and support each other. Don't be afraid to support other people because it won't spell less for you. It will spell more for you. That's, so that's amazing advice. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Rory, for being on here today, sharing your journey and sharing your tips for wellness and self-care for people who might be going through this transition period and before and after what it's like. It was so interesting to talk to you, and I'm really excited to get this episode out. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It really meant the world to me. And um, I hope it inspires some people to go after their dreams because they can totally do it. I think it definitely will. Where can we connect with you further? Um, I'm at RoryKelly.com. I'm on all the social medias. If you just type in my name, Rory Kelly, again, spelled R-O-R-I-E. A lot of people think it ends with a Y. It does not. It's an I-E. Um, I'm <laughs> at Rory Kelly. And I'm at Rory Makes Songs on Instagram. And just Rory Kelly Music on Facebook. Awesome. So go follow Rory. Go drop her a message or a comment letting her know what you learned from this episode. And go listen to her music. <laughs> Thank you so much again, Rory. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you. You too.